Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Barcelona, Real Madrid. It's a pretty big rivalry. You might have heard of it. Right now, the two sides are facing a crisis in their own way. Yes, they occupy the top two places in La Liga and yes, they're both on course to qualify for the knockout stages of the Champions League. But neither side won the European competition last season for the first time in six years and when the Ballon d'Or shortlist was released, only six players on it came from the two teams. So how do they get back on top in Europe? I'm Connor Pope and I'm going to be talking about that with Andy Murray who's written a blueprint for success for Barca and Real in the new issue of 442. You might have also noticed that there is no Clásico match this weekend, even though there should be. So I'm also going to chat to Colin Miller, author of The Frying Pan of Spain, A History of the Seville Derby, and editor of Football España, about why that is and what other political shenanigans are going on in the Spanish League. Andy, you've written this piece for the new issue of 442 on how Barcelona and Real Madrid can get back to the top of Europe. Over the years for 442, you've interviewed quite a lot of players on both sides of the Clásico divide. Um, Roberto Carlos, Gareth Bale, James Rodriguez, Luis Suarez, Gerard Piquet, Xavi, Iniesta and Lionel Messi. Not a bad list. So I think you've got a decent understanding of, of the inside of these clubs. We want to go through most of uh, the points that you make in this article, just one by one. Obviously, we'll leave a couple uh, shrouded in mystery so that people will go out and buy this at shops. But let's, start, but let's start with number one, which is about the need for these teams to integrate big signings. Now, both of them spent a lot this summer. Barca spent 255 million euros. Real Madrid spent 300 million who were these signings and, and kind of what are, what were their purposes in the grand scheme of things and how do they fit in? Yeah, I, they both went big this summer. There's, there's no doubt about that. The, both Barcelona and Real Madrid were, were the two uh, biggest spenders in Europe this season. Usually it's the Premier League, you know, Manchester City uh, dominating that, Manchester United as well and Liverpool to an extent. But this summer it was Spain's big two and usually you can tell how successful the clubs think their previous season was by how much money uh, yeah. they have spent in, uh, in in any given summer. So the fact that they've gone big would indicate that neither of them are happy, that they didn't really get anywhere near the Champions League. Obviously, uh, Barcelona... Um, threw it away against Liverpool. That's how they that's how they see it anyway. And um, that's a, a kind of a mental stumbling block that they have now. Two mm -hmm. seasons in a row, they've given away three goal or more uh, head starts in uh, in Champions crucial Champions League fixtures. So yeah, Barcelona spent big primarily on uh, on Antoine Griezmann and Frankie De Jong. Griezmann with a little bit of um, 
economical use of minimum fee release clauses. <laughs> they would deter, if you believe Atletico Madrid anyway, then their deal was done to get Griezmann to Barcelona way before his uh, his release clause was down to 120 million euros. And Frankie de Jong was much more a kind of a signing for the future, but also a signing for right now. He was so good last season for, for Ajax and they have struggled to to replace Xavi and Iniesta yeah. and he's basically a clone of the two of them he's obviously young enough to have the kind of the dynamism that Iniesta had in his early years in the uh, in the Barcelona team as well as having the range of passing and just constant recycling of possession that uh, that Xavi gives them can I ask on, on Griezmann in particular is is that a signing that Barca needed to make and and how does he fit into a team like Barca which obviously for so many years has been kind of shaped around Messi up front. Yeah, it's something that has been talked about quite a lot in the in the Spanish press. He, his signing is as much sort of political as anything, a kind of a statement of we can still sign whoever we want, whenever we want. Yeah. So did they need yet another attacking player? Probably not. But for the kind of Barcelona brand almost, did they need arguably the best forward that was available and on the market last mm. summer yes they probably did so i think that was part of the part of the signing griezmann has been at pains to uh, to stress that he came to barcelona because he wanted to play with messi mm. and uh, you know he's his favorite player and is is determined to play well alongside him early signs in in the team weren't weren't that great. Griezmann actually started playing as a central striker, looked quite good, but obviously once Messi is fit, Messi comes back as the yeah, as the yeah. false nine and Griezmann's moved out to towards the left left wing. Increasingly over the last couple of weeks, that has actually worked fairly well for them. So um the the Spanish press as they love to do they've come up, come up with their latest acronym so uh, <laughs> it's no longer the MSN that we had it's now the MSG okay. um, yeah so uh, so yeah Messi Suarez and Griezmann and they, they I think they've got something like five goals and three assists or so in the last uh, in the last couple of games so they're starting to grow and and evolve um, but yeah vital vital that Griezmann accepts his junior role yeah because that has been a problem for for people at Barcelona so let's look at um, Madrid quickly they're two big signings this summer Eden Hazard obviously we know him quite well and mm. and Luka Jovic who's one of the most exciting young strikers in Europe was Hazard a, a signing that they need how's he fit in so far I would say yes they did I mean they needed Hazard a season earlier I think but for whatever reason uh, Florentino Perez decided that they had enough to cover Cristiano Ronaldo's 50 odd goals a season as it turned out that was completely wrong um Gareth Bale didn't step up in the way that I think Perez hoped after the the overhead kick in the Champions League final and Zinedine Zidane was absolutely determined that come hell or high water Hazard was yeah going to come in press very hard for it um interestingly there has been chat not just in pre-season but since that uh, Hazard is slightly overweight and uh, not training hard enough 
and his early performances have been slow. There's no doubt about that. But that was always the case when he was at Chelsea, I think. He was always slow to come back from injuries. And he has had a couple of muscle muscle knocks and mm. niggles uh, this this season. So I would expect him to to eventually come good. He's kind of playing off the left as he did for as he did for Chelsea. So Zidane is a big fan, so Zidane will keep playing him. There's no right, there's okay. no kind of Gareth Bale problem yeah. where manager and player aren't necessarily seeing eye to eye. He'll keep playing Hazard and just hope that he'll play him into form. As for Jovic looks less looks less likely even before he played a first team game before the La Liga season has started mm. there was already talk of him going out on loan uh, mm-hmm. which is already isn't a good st- good sign mm. when you've just uh, spent you know upwards of 60 million euros on uh, on a sort of 21 year old forward who was probably the most in demand young young forward in in Europe at the at the time again He's looked off the pace, not helped by the fact that uh, Karim Benzema has probably had his best start for the season yeah. for four or five years at Madrid. So, um, I mean, this comes on to your second point, really, which is about trusting the young talent that they've got. And, mm. and other than Hazard and Griezmann, there has been an obvious transfer policy of buying younger players from the two clubs this season. Obviously, we've spoken a little bit about De Jong, we've spoken a bit about Jovic there, but Ansu Fati is is a new incredible talent who's come up through for Barcelona. Do they look like they're going to give him a lot more playing time? He's only about 16, isn't he? He is 16, yeah. He um, He's to some extent come from nowhere to the wider yeah. to, the, to the wider world that they've always had high hopes for him at, at, at Barcelona but I don't think anyone really realistically expected him to to play quite as well as he has done this season mm. I think part of that is Messi was injured at the start of the season Griezmann struggling a little bit for form Suarez definitely injured and struggling for form and they needed that kind of injection of pace because that forward line can be a little bit one-paced and Fatty has been superb for them uh, to the extent that Barcelona have managed to persuade uh, the Spanish youth teams that uh, he doesn't have to go to the Under-17 World Cup, which would have meant he would have missed a a month of the Barcelona season, and he's been fast-tracked into the Under-21s already. He will stay almost certainly with the the first-team squad now for the rest of the season. He looks like a phenomenal prospect and exactly the sort of player that they need and exactly the sort of player that they haven't really given opportunities to in the last mm. three or four years. Part of the problem with the with La Masia at, uh, at Barcelona is when you create a, an academy that is so good at creating a generation after generation of top players, that generation is just going to stick it out for 10 years. So how does the next generation after that make it into the first team. Thiago Alcantara had to leave. Sex Fabregas had to leave and came back. So did Jordi Alba. And there are a lot of those players who are just drifting away and either develop well elsewhere or just fade away. So it's important that they keep Fatty involved in the first team setup and give him game time that his talent obviously deserves. The fans love him because, you know, a a homegrown player who looks like they're going to kind of shine like Messi yeah. Has done. So that's the, important. This kind of comes on to your third point, which is that both sides have aging superstars. Uh, for Barcelona, they've got Messi, Suarez, and PK, who are all over 30. Uh, Madrid have got Modric, Benzema, and Bale, who are all, all over 30. So there clearly needs to be some sort of generational shift at both clubs over the next couple of seasons. Which club do you think is facing a bigger difficulty? with this 
it's hard to say. Madrid have gone in the right, uh, made the right steps, I think, in that a lot of their signings this summer were sort of 24 or under. Edison Militao is one of the highest, most highly rated centre-backs in Europe. Jovic Ditto um, uh, further forward, and they've already got Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo in their, in their ranks as well. So it's not like they haven't seen this coming. The problem is that those players that they've bought often at quite significant expense, have no pathway into into the first team because Modric is a recent Ballon d'Or mm. winner. Benzema is in great form. Bale, they've spent a lot of money on. Okay, it looks like he is going to go next summer. They have the players there to do it, but they need to be integrated slowly. One of the things that Diego Simeone has done so well at Atletico is to give young players minutes or games here and there so almost by without even noticing Jose Maria Jimenez becomes their starting centre-back when Diego Godin leaves for uh, Inter and you look at how many games and he's, he's got like 100 games in the in the last couple of years two or three years and it's almost like done by stealth without even you really noticing which Madrid don't really do because Modric has to play, Benzema has to play, Ronaldo had to play when uh, yeah. when he was there. Same with Kroos, because otherwise they'll leave and they don't want them to leave. So it's a tricky one to, to resolve. Barcelona have got the same problem, uh, really, but have recognized it too late which is probably good a good thing for La Masia as I, as I say they they have a good generation of players coming forward Oriol Busquets is basically a carbon copy of his namesake in defensive midfield Carles Alenia uh, is uh, another kind of Frankie de Jong type midfielder uh, who is who's coming through and um they they have the talent, so you may well see kind of a little bit like Chelsea, I suppose this this season in England, um, almost by necessity, these young mm. players get, yeah, yeah. getting uh, getting their chance because there's only so there's only sort of one or two superstars that they can go out and uh, and get with bank loans starting to be finally reined in a little bit by uh, by banks in both Catalonia and and Madrid. So I think that squares off one of the other points you make, which is that both teams need to have better use of their incredible academies, which are the envy of Europe. So let's move on next to the off-field issues that both clubs have. And and frankly, the internal politics of Barcelona and Real Madrid is covered more than basically any club in the world, I think. I, I seem to know more about the internal political wranglings of these sides than I do of the own team that I support. So... What is going on? Shall we start with Madrid? Zidane is already under pressure, despite his incredible re- record in his first stint. He's had disagreements with Perez over the summer. What did those disagreements come down to? Primarily players. Zidane was determined to bring in Hazard. Perez has always been a little bit uh, not so sure about Hazard. Can't see it myself, but you know, that's... <laughs> He's the uh, yeah. he, he fronts up, he fronts up the money, so uh, so it's up to him. No, I'm um, I'm going to stick my neck out here and say Perez is wrong on this. <laughs> Eden Hazard is pretty good in my opinion, but exactly good at football. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> but um, Perez is willing to give uh, Zidane one player. Okay, yeah, fine. Zidane, uh, sorry, uh, Hazard will you know sell shirts is the kind of statement signing that that we need. Fair enough, but you're not getting Pogba. 
Yeah. You might want Pogba. You're not getting him. Find someone else. You can have Ericsson. We've got a deal almost sorted. He wants to come. Zidane does, didn't want anything to do with Ericsson. Decided we've got enough. It's Pogba or nothing. The relationship between the two of them is has always been an interesting one. It has always been very much a father-son relationship. Yeah. Zidane came to Real Madrid in the first place because Perez kind of was determined to get him yeah. and flattered him, wrote, will you come to uh, Real Madrid on a napkin at a dinner they were at? I seem to remember reading that in a Sid Lowe piece in 442 in about Absolutely. 2003, yeah. Yep. And it's their their relationship has always been very good and uh, Perez wanted Zidane to become Madrid's Guardiola effectively, even though there was significant opposition within the club. But yeah, that relationship has cooled a little bit purely because Zidane only agreed to come back in the first place if he had you know more control over what was what was going on initially happy to toe the party line obviously lucky to get the job in the first place recognize that but in being brought back because this time it was madrid who were desperate he wanted things to be done his way and there perez isn't necessarily sticking to sticking to that yeah so, that, that doesn't tend to be how it works at the bernabeu and if managers disagree with perez it usually only really goes one way you can sort of see it because their form since uh, Zidane came back has been very average like yeah. no better than Solari before him no better than Lopetegui either so yeah I mean he's he's still in he'll still be in the job I would have thought come the end of the season okay. like with like with anything the microscope in Spain and on Madrid and Barcelona is such that with four sports papers Every, yeah. uh, coming out every day two in each city there are a lot of column inches to be written and some of it rings true some of it less so uh, of the kind of internal machinations that mm -hmm. are going on at, uh, at the clubs as you say however there is always an, an element of truth to, to what's going on there and results will have to improve otherwise eventually Perez will pull the trigger on his Bambi I mean, it's incredible to talk about these clubs being in some sort of crisis when they currently occupy first and second place in La Liga. Right. <laughs> but you say Zidane probably will be in his job at the end of the season. Valverde, is there a chance he might go before then? Possibly. I, I can see him limping through to the to the end. Um, but I would be surprised if he's there come, come the start mm. of next season. They um, tend not to sack managers during seasons, is my... Yeah, I mean, when you, when you know that Champions League football is pretty much guaranteed. Yeah. Um, and perhaps first and second, although Atletico are looking really strong this year and Atletico have finished second in the last two, two La Liga seasons as well. That's maybe less so now. There, there is a section of the fan base and I think also those within the club that think Valverde has always been too pragmatic, not attacking enough and frankly a bit dull. So I wouldn't be at all surprised were he to go. The biggest surprise perhaps for me was... Uh, 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 front page from uh, I think it was Mundo Deportivo a couple of days ago that said that uh, Ronald Koeman might be the favourite to, <laughs> to take over him I would be interested to hear what Everton fans would have to say about, yeah. uh, about that I, I read this week as well that he would also be interested in that job funny so. that yeah. <laughs> finally and very quickly you write I think it's really interesting that both teams need to move on from their Neymar obsession I mean obviously it's clear why both teams would want to sign Neymar he's a very talented footballer but is part of the problem the circus that comes around Neymar certainly uh, there 
I mean, there are, I suppose there are two circuses uh, in town for that. You've got the circus in the press because both clubs want to have that statement signing of we signed him, you wanted him, ha, 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 ha. And then that gets reflected in, in the press. So both Zidane and Valverde were utterly pissed off by the end of the transfer window of every single press conference that they do before and after every game. What's the latest on Zidane? Both said, uh, I would. I just want to get through to September and it be over and not talk about it anymore. I don't know. Even if I did, I wouldn't tell you. Please stop asking me about this crap. <laughs> However, they're still being asked about this crap because... <laughs> It's almost certain that Neymar will go next to one of them next next summer. And they both need him, perhaps less so Barcelona now that they've got uh, Griezmann, but they'll still go back in for him next summer. You can bet that. And uh, Madrid would love nothing more than giving the two fingers to uh, to Barcelona. So it is it is a real circus and it does distract the squad and the manager from what's going on. Like not necessarily in a way that they would admit to, but subconsciously and just the emotional effort of having to deal with this and go through it is draining, to be honest. The other circus that comes with it, another piece that I've done for for the 442 website, is the circus that comes from Neymar's entourage. Uh, a group called Los Toys, which I uh, called after a Brazilian song um, by one of Brazil's uh, favorite artists. So it's a group of six of his kind of closest friends from childhood and sort of people that he's met over the course of his career who basically follow him everywhere and he pays them between four and six thousand euros a month to basically live in his house do his bidding find nights out for him you know buy things for him and sort of entertain him basically and it's quite a powerful group who can kind of affect his mood and how he's feeling in the city and there are certainly those in in paris that think they've been significant in persuading him that it's time to go back to Spain. I think in his heart of hearts, Barcelona is the one that he wants to go back to. He's still very, very close to Messi and Suarez. So that's the one that he wants. But his dad and other agents uh, would take Real Madrid. He was on trial at Real Madrid, nearly joined them when he was sort of 14, 15. So I don't think either of those uh, are bad options for him. But if you want Neymar, you've got to put up with the press that surrounds him and Lost Toys as well, who will come and shape his world, if you like. But in your opinion, the never-ending saga of Neymar joining either Real Madrid or Barcelona is not set to stop anytime soon? No, no chance. I mean, expect in, you know, international weeks or whatever, (laughs) you know, another exclusive. Neymar wants to come. He's he's on his way. He said yes to Barcelona. (laughs) And then the following day... Marco will say he said yes to Real Madrid. He wants to play for Zidane. So yeah, it's it it will it will not stop. It will die down a little bit while there's actually football happening. Mm. Um, but then once the transfer window, what's the opposite of slams shut? Um, <laughs> slams open. Slams open. <laughs> Uh, in in January, it'll be full of that talking about next summer and then next summer, it's just going to be unbearable again. Well, I mean, from purely the perspective of someone who helps run a football website, that is fantastic news for traffic. Um, 
uh, which I think possibly explains a lot about why that saga never will end. Andy Murray, thanks so much for coming on. Pleasure. Thanks, Connor. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Colin, thanks for joining us. Let's go straight into the big question. Why is there no Classico match this weekend? Yeah, well, the Classical was originally scheduled for the 26th of October. Now, this date was flagged up pretty quickly after the uh, the Spanish Supreme Court announced that there was a number of um, political leaders in Catalonia had been arrested, some, some for up to nine years, uh, due to their part in the Catalan independence referendum. Now, that sparked uh, quite, a, quite a lot of sort of social and political unrest. Uh, throughout Catalonia and obviously particularly in, in Barcelona and there's been a lot of disruption there's been a lot of very nasty sort of images and videos have emerged of, of sort of a lot of clashes between police and protesters and everything else so what happened was that originally uh, La Liga requested to the Spanish FA and to both clubs for the match to be reversed and to be played in Madrid mm. now this this was a suggestion that was initially rejected by, by pretty much everybody so what then happened was that they appealed to the uh, Spanish FA's competition committee to, to to look into a solution to this problem and and so the, the game has been delayed and postponed but the, the, the problem is now is it has been postponed right up until December now the, the Spanish FA and the clubs 
have agreed uh, on the date of, of Wednesday the 18th of December. So that's obviously a week before Christmas. Now they've agreed on that because the only football on that week is the Copa del Rey. Neither Barcelona or Madrid or play, are playing in that weekend. Mm. So they, they were both happy to go ahead with that. And that had all looked to be given the green light. But La Liga then said, wait, hold on a minute. We are not happy with that date. We would rather it was played slightly before that on on Saturday the seventh of December. Now there's already a weekend of a full weekend of La Liga fixtures scheduled for that. But what they would like to do would be to move the Barcelona and Madrid game scheduled for that Saturday and Sunday back to the previous midweek and play El Clasico on the weekend. Now the reason they want to do that is because La Liga are very conscious about the TV markets and they think that if El Clasico, which is essentially the biggest fixture in club football, is played on a Wednesday night, it will completely lose the Asian TV market. Now, this this might sound... Um, this might sound slightly out of touch and out of tune with the clubs and with the fans, and to a large degree it is. But what they would like to do is they, they want to maximise this fixture in terms of its revenue as much as possible. And if this is played on Wednesday, the 18th of December, that will obviously compromise that idea. So mm-hmm. there's a bit of a standoff at the minute. La Liga rejecting what has been completely agreed between Barca and Madrid and the Spanish FA. And it's actually the fact that both clubs were, were able to come to such a swift um, a swift agreement was was almost a, was almost something in itself. But, but now the league's opposing it and there's a real chance that they could actually take this to court. Um, and it gets resolved that way. And again, this is probably a common theme throughout a lot of the topics we're going to be discussing here. But... There's a in Spanish football. There's a massive, massive gap, and there's a massive sort of political power play between La Liga and the Spanish FA, mm. and the two individuals who run both of those organisations, and and both think um, and both assume that they should have more rights and more power over decisions that are made at a fundamental level um, in terms of the games. And that was see, that's been seen right from the start of the season. Whenever there was actually a court case about whether or not Friday and Monday night fixtures should be should be allowed in La Liga. Um, and the Spanish FA said they shouldn't. La Liga said they should because of TV revenue. What happened was that the presidents of most of the clubs agreed with La Liga because they saw it as their main revenue stream. Yeah, yeah most of most of Spanish football fans hate Friday and Monday night football and yeah, they agreed with the FA. So this so this so this is something that that, that that goes through a lot of issues and it's almost not every couple of months there's there's either a court case or a high profile fallout between the two organisations and it's something that, that many people feel is, is holding Spanish football back. And so December 7th or 8th there I think you were saying is, is the possible next date for it but that's not that far away really. Is, is the hope simply that the political unrest will have died down in the meantime? I think so. I think that there's a sort of sense that there's not much more from a football point of view that you can do with this because obviously this is a fixture that that, that has huge um, connotations. Maybe not so much politically, but maybe in terms of identity. Um, now, after after the jailing of these uh, political leaders, Barcelona immediately released a statement, uh, and they said that you know we 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 do not agree with what's happened we don't think the jail is a solution to to the sort of crisis we believe it you know we always believe in dialogue we always believe that you know the catalan leaders and spanish leaders should should be speaking to themselves and resolving this these issues outside of of these sentences 
Now, that's something that's, that's kind of in keeping with Barcelona as a club. They see themselves almost as a, as a club of Catalonia. And then almost almost sort of immediately after that, Espanyol, who obviously are the main city rivals, as it were, they came out and released a statement being like, you know, we're, we're, not, a, we're not a political club at all. So essentially, we're, we are releasing a statement which is saying nothing. You know, we, we, we're, we're a sporting mm. club and we don't want to get involved with this. So this is some, they, these are issues in Spanish football and in Spanish society more generally there's a lot of crossover between clubs supporters and how they how they identify as themselves so it's going to be interesting to see just just what happens with with the crisis because it has been particularly um particularly unsavory a lot of the stuff that's going on a lot of language that's being used by sort of people on both sides of the debate and i think as well one final point on this is that a lot of people outside of Catalonia and outside of Spain look at this and see it in a sort of black and white. You know, they see it as left versus right or whatever else. And it's actually the situation is very, very complex. There's there's a lot of layers to this. Um, I'm I'm someone who's who's covered Spanish football and for for quite a few years and, and trying to sort of feed that into a wider context. But it's something that's always that even for me and for a lot of other people who cover it from from abroad, it's it's hard to get to the heart of. So this is something that it's very hard to tell as well if this is going to die down in the next few weeks or if it is going to run through. And obviously, if it does, it's going to present uh, further problems at the time. At the moment, Barcelona and Real Madrid are the top two in La Liga as usual. So this weekend's match would have been quite a big deal purely on those terms. Who will be happier with the delay at the moment? I think probably Real Madrid would be slightly happier with the delay. They, they've got a few crucial injuries at the minute. Luka Modric and Gareth Bale both got injured on international duty. There's a lot of their players are completely out of form, which has actually been completely in keeping with, with the last 18 months. Um, they they sort of were the early league leaders and then they went down to the they defeated the weekend against Real Mallorca and then they laboured to win against Galatasaray. But there's there's just something very very unconvincing about them and there has been there has been pretty much since Zinedine Zidane took over. Um, the same could almost be said of Barcelona. Um, they're sort of labouring to a lot of victories. You know their 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 performances leave a lot to be desired. But you know whenever you've got Lionel Messi, who's not <laughs> yeah. to fitness and return to form, that that makes all the difference. And when you look at the attacking options they have, they they were always going to be favourites for this game against the Madrid team who just who just aren't convincing at the minute. Usmane Dembélé would have been suspended, um, and obviously that's that's not going to be the case. But I think Barcelona and Ernesto Valverde, the coach, was saying, you know, we we would have been happy enough to actually play this game. You know, we were we we were ready for this. It, it would have come for them, and they were in reasonably good form, even 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 with question marks behind that. So I think Madrid are going to be the happy of the two. That being said, by the time December comes around. Not, it's not completely certain that Zidane will still be there at, at Madrid. You know their situation is very fluid, and it only takes a run of two or three results, which which could easily come considering their, the level of performances, and things could turn very quickly for them. So it, it'll be interesting to see just just where the two are at come December time. Now it's not the only controversial fixture move in La Liga at the moment. Um, can you tell us a bit about the uh, Villarreal Atletico Madrid game? Yes, yeah, so there was a proposal by La Liga, which was supported by the uh, at presidential level by both Villarreal and Atletico Madrid to play their game, which was originally scheduled uh, for 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 December again um, at the Estadio Sonamica, the Villarreal home stadium. They wanted to play that in Miami, Florida, um, which obviously would be transporting a, a Spanish league game to the US. Yeah. 
And that, that is that is something that came up um, initially last season when La Liga were really insistent um, on getting this through because they had signed a 15-year a agreement with um, uh, an American sports company to, to start transporting games to America. Um, and this is something that, that was a kind of eye raising at the time, eye raising at the time, and and it's the same again that they they were unsuccessful last year. They tried to play the Girona against Barcelona match in in Miami as well, and that never came to pass. And they so they, what they're trying to do now is they're trying to push this through. Um, and they've as I said, they have the support of both clubs at a presidential level. They're also trying to offer a lot of initiatives for this. You know, we're going to be able to offer you know a lot of free air travel and free match tickets to a lot of the fans of the clubs. You know, to, to sort of compensate for them missing out on a game. Uh, we're going to reduce season ticket prices for this year and for next year. But there's something wholly unconvincing about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we're, we're going back to the division between La Liga and the Spanish FA. The Spanish FA, under its president, Luis Rubiales, has come out and he said, look, we said no to this last year and our position is exactly the same. And the reason why we're opposing it is that it's fundamentally unfair because it makes the competition unbalanced. So presumably the reason that they want to host it in America, in particular Florida, is because of the big Hispanic communities there could we possibly see a classico being played abroad at some time soon i mean presumably it could be a solution to the fact that there is political tension and unrest at home <laughs> yes well that that would be the perfect solution for the game <laughs> coming up wouldn't it um and, and again again last year the, it was the Girona barcelona game as i said barcelona yeah. were actually quite keen to play that in, okay. in the states um but and most most clubs at a presidential level are, and again, this this is this is common between the divisions of of the people who run the clubs who see this as a huge opportunity for marketing for their brand, as it were, and fans who are going, well, actually, hold on a minute, you know, we <laughs> we we have a season ticket, we we have nineteen home games. This is this is you know this is what we this is what we've always been used to, and they're very much opposed to it. But Barcelona were quite keen to to play a match abroad. Real Madrid and Florentino Perez were actually who's the president of the club they they were actually one of the ones who were primarily opposed to the idea and I think that that comes down to the fact that Madrid see themselves as a club who if they, they're not going to be they might not rule the site forever but they want if, they, if they're ever going to play a match in the United States they want themselves to be to be the driver behind that they don't want to be sort of going in line with, with La Liga again this is something that it's it's probably an egotistical thing between the the, the individuals who run the club and who sure. run the league. So I, I think La Liga would love an El Clasico in, in in America. It would be it would be their ultimate dream, their their end goal, as it were. Mm. And I think what they're trying to do by proposing Girona against Barcelona, by proposing Villarreal against Atletico, they these are almost sort of like the tester matches. And I think as well that clubs, a lot of clubs now, are, as you said, there's a huge Hispanic community, and as and as well, these clubs are having pre seasons in the states, and they're seeing you know like a, a sort of growing fan base there. They're they're seeing that as a as a potential, a huge potential for growth. Um, and I think as well, the the league in general is looking at China, it's looking at America. And I think these are two huge markets that haven't been properly untapped by the English Premier League, who are obviously their main rival in this in this field, and that's that's where they see their 
their growth long term. So yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. But at the minute, the FA are opposed to it. We need to get ratification from FIFA, from UEFA. The last year, the players' union said that if this was if this would go through, you know, there's a real possibility we could go on strike because we're not happy with it at all. So there's huge. There are a lot of um, barriers and hurdles to overcome before uh, a, ga- a game of any of any magnitude comes to fruition. Now, you recently brought out a book, uh, The Frying Pan of Spain, about the Seville derby. Uh, Real Betis versus Sevilla is coming up in a couple of weeks. Presumably, the political situation in Spain isn't going to affect that. Um, how's the game likely to go, do you think? Yeah, uh, this, this, this is a game that will be um, completely unaffected by any any political tension, what, what would be in uh, Andalusia, the south mm. of the country. So the, the two teams go, well, as things stand, Real Betis actually in the relegation zone. Now, uh, Sevilla are fourth. Uh, there, there is an... <laughs> The, the way La Liga is, especially this season, is that there's there's really not a lot between between most of the clubs. You know, the, there's not particularly a low floor and there's not a particularly high ceiling. So things are reasonably fluid and things can turn around pretty quickly. But both both clubs have new coaches. Uh, Ruby came into bed this summer from Espanyol. I mean, they've only got nine points from their opening nine matches. And I've, I've been watching, obviously, watch both clubs a lot. I actually think they've been a little bit unfortunate. They're a little bit unlucky. But I do think that looking at them, especially compared to having Kike Setien in the four, where you had a very, very, you know, tactically football purist as a manager, they do, I'm looking at Betis this season, and I don't really see much of an identity. Um, and I, I know, I know, Ruby's only been there a couple of months, but there are concerns there. Whereas at Sevilla, Julian Lopetegui uh, has hit the ground running, as it were, and and he really needed to because Sevilla fans are never convinced whenever their club bring in somebody who's been at Madrid um, before beforehand, and he's he, he, he again is somebody who's got a lot to prove. You know, he, he was sacked um, by Real Madrid. He was he was sacked by Spain on the eve of the World Cup after having agreed to take over at Madrid. So this is somebody who really needs to prove himself and. I'm actually when you look at the table and when you look at the struggles of the top clubs and Atletico Madrid have made a really slow start to the season and it's very congested uh, in the top half of the table there's a real chance that Sevilla could go on and do something pretty special this season I don't I, I don't think that their aim is going to change from a top four finish, but this is going to be a this is going to be a huge test for them, and it's it's going to be it, it always is a fascinating watch because these are two teams who do like the attack. There's not a title on the line, so whilst that means that you know obviously the magnitude of the game isn't quite what a Barcelona Madrid game would be, mm. there also tends to be a little bit less um, restriction in terms of players. Teams are a bit more attacking, players are a little bit more experimental. You know they see this as a chance to be a hero rather than being constricted by fear or anything like that. So. So it's, these games are always second to none in terms of the atmosphere and in terms of the intensity within the match itself. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that one goes. Uh, Betis really do need points. Um, and obviously they've got the home advantage, so they're going to, they're going to make the look that pay. But yeah, it's going to be a fascinating match. Colin Miller, thank you very much for coming on. No, thank you, Connor. Thanks to Andy and Colin for coming on today. If you want to read Andy's piece on Barcelona and Real Madrid, pick up the latest copy of 442 in shops and online now. It also includes an exclusive interview with Raheem Sterling, a trip to the derby inside the Arctic Circle and a meeting with Lazio's most feared ultras. You can also subscribe to the magazine using a link in the show notes for this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a pleasant review and a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us stand out. The music you've heard is by Hal Griff, also available on iTunes and Spotify. Thanks for listening. 
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.